You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. This week, as we come to the end of our study in James, which we've called Christianity on the Ground Level, because the book of James does such a great job of just helping us see what it looks like to actually live out our faith in very direct and practical ways. And we'll see as we finish this book, it's just going to end in the same way. Very direct, very practical, but hopefully it will be something that you can take home with you and be immediately helpful even today and this week. So James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, Notice that, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it didn't rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father, uh, we're asking that by the power of your Spirit, this would not be just a meeting today. That we would not just gather to have a little weekly pick-me-up but that you would break in through your word and that you would open up our eyes to believe even what we've already sang, that we are no longer slaves, but we're your children. That you would free us to to step out of hiding, to step out of darkness and to come into the light of the truth and know that it's the truth and the truth only that will set us free. Father, we ask you today that you would open our eyes, that we would see the truth of your word that we would see the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, and that you would make us into the family of missionary servants that you've called us to be even more. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this isn't much of a way to start a sermon, but I'm just going to start by saying, Jared has not approved me starting this sermon the way I'm about to start it. So if you have any complaints, I'm going to hold a special meeting in the month of July to where you can come... (laughs) And share all complaints with me. And for those of you who don't know, I won't be here then. So, But I want to tell you a story about a pastor who was on hard times. He was having a hard time getting attendance up in his church. He was having a hard time especially getting some money in the collection plate. And as we seek to, to raise money for our, our future, uh, this might be an idea that we could try. What he decided to do was to have a public confession service. He wanted to light a fire under his congregation. He wanted to get them stirred up so that they all saw how needy they were of God and of the gospel. And so he came in one morning. He announced what he was going to do. He preached a a small part of a sermon. And then he began to hammer down saying, We're going to get up and we're going to tell it all. 
We're going to tell it all. Who's going to be first? Who will tell it all? And so finally one man stood up and he said, Pastor, I know that God's called me to provide for my family, to take care of them with how he gives me this money from my job. But I just have to confess that I've been taking a large portion of my paycheck and I've been going and gambling it away every month. And the preacher says, that's right, brother. Let's get it all out there. Tell it all. Tell it all, brother. And so finally, one after one, they began to stand up. Men were committing adultery. Women were talking about greed and gossip. Others were sharing about fornication. Some were talking about the cheating, the stealing that they had been involved in. And he continued just to press down, tell it all, tell it all. And then one man up in the back corner finally just slowly and sheepishly stood up. He raised his hand. said, brother, I see that hand. Tell it, tell it all. And the man said, preacher, last week I made love with a goat. And the preacher without hesitation said, dang brother, I don't believe I'd have told that. (laughs) When it comes to confession, we often think we're the exception. We can think we're the ones who have something to hide that nobody else is going to be able to handle. Now, hopefully it's not that. (laughs) But if we're honest, we all feel like that. Yeah, it's all good that we have this culture of where we talk about being real, about sharing who we are, about sharing our struggles. But in the back of our mind, we put an asterisk by our own self and by our situation. And we say, not me, they couldn't handle that. We say, I don't want to be judged by everyone else. And I will be judged if I really share what's going on in my life. We say, I don't want to, I don't want to have to be a burden to other people. Because then if this information goes out, everybody now is just going to feel really awkward around me. And whenever I walk into the room, they're going to be, oh, there's that person who struggles with that sin. For others of us, it's not that we fear people's judgment or we fear the being the burden. Some of us just don't want to change. And we're like, if I confess my sin, they might actually show me something I need to do that's different in my life, and I don't want to do that. For these and many more reasons, confession is something that is very hard for us to, to do, for something that's very hard for us to be honest about. But when we look into the Scriptures and we see what confession is, we see that confession is simply agreeing with God. Confession is just saying the same thing that God says about something. Confession, we could just boil it down to this, is naming and owning reality. Confession is naming and owning reality. It's saying, this is true. Whether I like it or you like it, it's true. And it's owning it, saying, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to take responsibility for this. But it's so hard. We fear naming and owning reality because we think we're going to give other people ammo to use against us. We think we will put ourselves in a situation where we're no longer in control. It brings out all the idols in our hearts of, will I find approval from this person now? Will I now lose the control I had in this situation But if you'll look into James chapter 5, and we're not going to read this verse. It didn't have Ryan put it. But it's just the verse right before verse 12, verse 11. 
It says this, Behold, we consider how blessed those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. Notice how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the God who calls us out of the shadows and into a culture of confession. A God who is not sitting back waiting to smack us down as soon as we reveal what's true about us, but a God who is compassionate and merciful. A God who wants us to see that there is no healing in hiding. You understand that? There is no healing in hiding. Confession is the path to healing. Because it is only confession that leads us to Jesus. The real us is the only us who can be changed by the real Jesus. So what does this look like? How do we see this in God's Word this morning? The first thing we see that confession is the path to healing because a culture, a, a church, a community full of confession is a culture of reality. Notice verse 13 again. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. You see here what's going on? It's what the Spirit is saying through James. It's what the church should be is a culture, is an environment where the full range of emotions have the freedom to be expressed. So are you suffering? Then let's be a people who you can say, I'm suffering, let's pray. Are you happy? Let's be the kind of people where we can celebrate together. We can sing together. But so often, if we're not careful... We can create cultures in our churches, in our even own homes, because some of this may be an issue in your own home, in our fight clubs, in our missional communities, to where it's sort of like, don't be too happy, because you might make somebody else uncomfortable. Don't be too sad, because you make, might make somebody else uncomfortable. Let's just all agree to inhabit this sort of middle ground that makes everything seem nice and safe. This is not the way of God. This is not what we see in the Scriptures. Have you ever been in a context where it made it really hard for you to be real? I think we all have, and I can tell you one experience. I remember a man in a, it was in a community that we come from. He had died, and I was going uh, to, to the viewing in the funeral home where it was held. And I'll never forget, you walk in, you're expecting to have this environment where you can be sad, and there's a song that's playing in the background. Now, albeit, this made it even more weird, it was in orchestral version, but it was Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> now, Bohemian Rhapsody is a great song, but it really did not set the tone <laughs> to see this... <laughs> Jay, you might try this sometime. To set this... To see, you know, this man laying dead up here in this coffin, and you're like... Am I supposed to start banging my head now at this part of the song? And so you're wanting to feel like I should be able to be crying right now. I should be able to be hugging people and consoling them. And then there in the background, you're just hearing that song play. Now, I don't know if that was this dude's favorite song or what, but no matter the motivations behind it, it was awkward. It did not allow you to be able to express the full range of your emotions in that setting. And the same thing can happen in our lives. The same thing could happen in our 930 service. The same thing can happen in your homes, in your missional communities, in your fight clubs, where we think that we're doing good for other people by like, we're not going to be really happy, we're not going to be really sad, we're going to keep this thing under control. 
We're going to inhabit this middle ground where things can't get messy. But the problem is, that is not reality. That is not reality. And God, throughout His Word, again and again and here in James, is saying, if you're suffering, pray, cry out to God. If you're cheerful, sing out to God. But let's be real with one another. Let's read the Psalms and let's see people just confessing their doubt, confessing their fear, confessing their sin. Let's see Jesus, a Jesus who wept, a Jesus who was angry at sin, a Jesus who cried out to God. God wants space for people to be able to confess truly and fully. This is why, and trust me, I do, I do a lot of counseling. I think it's good. I'm for it. But so many times what people want out of counseling is they just want a context where they can just really be real. People will pay lots of money, not necessarily looking for somebody to just fix it. They just say, I want to find a space where I can go air it all out. And I will pay somebody for that space where I won't be judged and where I don't have to fear. That's what we're to be for one another. This makes some of you very nervous and very afraid. But this is exactly what God is calling us to. This is what He invites us to. If we want to be the body of Christ and like Jesus, we have got to create spaces where people can be who they are so that they can know the joy that God wants to give them. So a culture of confession is a culture of reality, but also confession is the path to healing because a culture of confession is a culture where we find help. Notice verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiving. So we see here this call, if people are suffering with sickness, that they are to, to come to the elders and call for prayer. Now I do want to say this. Why is it the elders? Well, it's not that the elders are the only people who can pray for you. Right? We've already seen in verse 13 just a general call. If you're suffering, pray. We're going to see in verse 16 that we are to confess our sins and suffering and pray for one another so that we may be healed. So you don't need to look at your elders, which are your pastors, as like priests who, if we have any problem, we just go to them first. No, you should be praying about this together in your friendships, your fight clubs, your missional communities. But let's say that you have done that. God here is saying, come with your sickness, come with your need to your pastors so that they can pray for you. They pray for you as those who represent the church and they pray for you as those, as we're going to see, who may have some insight into your situation so they can pastor you in this season. What are they to do? It says, the elders are to pray over you. What would this look like? And we, we've done this. This isn't something that, that we're just discovering. This is something that uh, Luke and Jared done even before I came here in obedience to God's word. So if you were to call upon us to come and pray for you, we will come and we will, we will talk to you, we will listen to you, we will speak the hope of the gospel into your life, and then we will lay hands on you. So we will gather around you, we will put our hands on you, and we will pray for you. We will pray for God to heal you. We will pray for God to heal you physically with whatever sickness it is. We will pray that if there is a need for healing spiritually, 
because sin has either been in your life prior to this or has crept into your heart during this, that the Lord will heal you. But we also see not only will we lay our hands and pray on you, but it says to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now this is something that can seem strange for many of us in modern day times. And so it's helpful for us to understand this. Some people think that this is purely speaking of the application of ancient medicine in this context. If you'll read the parable or the story of the Good Samaritan, we'll see that part of the process of how he cared for that Samaritan was that he used oil for his wounds. But the reason here why I think it's pointing us beyond merely a a medicinal element, if that even is a part of it, is because why would you be calling on the elders to do that? There's got to be at least something more here. You would just say, go to the doctors. They had physicians at this time. It wasn't like your pastor was pastor slash doctor. Okay? And so what's going on? Well, if you read through the scriptures and you see how anointing works, is that all throughout the Bible, people who were set apart for a special work of the Spirit in their lives were anointed with oil. And so this is what we do. We will take a, a small vial of, of oil. Luke brought his last time that we did this. We will take that oil, place it on our fingers, and simply anoint your head. We will do this as a sign that we as your pastors are especially setting you apart for a direct and powerful work of the Spirit to heal in your life. But notice how, what it says next. This is important. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now why is that so important? It's not your pastors that heal you. And it's not the oil that heals you. It's not your pastors are like, you know, uh, warlocks or magicians who come in and we've got our little spell and we rub it on you and you're okay. No, it's the name of the Lord. It's the power of the Lord. The elders come representing Jesus and His church. The oil represents the Spirit. And so we pray in the name of the Lord, break in and heal this person. And your pastors, your elders stand ready to do this. Even in recent days, I won't share all the details because uh, not ready to do that yet, but you may learn more about it lately. We have done this, and we have seen God answer prayer. This is not a fairy tale. This is not some sort of ancient hocus-pocus. And we are committed to serving you this way. Just as in the early church, the pastors, it says, were to devote themselves to the Word and to prayer. This is our devotion. To feed you with God's Word, not just on Sundays, but for every day. And to see God break into your life, trusting that the prayer of faith will lead to healing. Now, is it always the case? Sometimes these prayer verses trip us up. When we understand prayer verses like this in the Bible, these promises, they're not necessarily unconditional. They're always relational. Jesus prayed and God the Father did not answer His prayer in the garden when He said, Father, is there another way? Paul prayed and said, Jesus... Take this thorn away from my flesh. And at least in the way that God, they wanted the prayer answered in that moment, it wasn't answered. But God was still at work to do a greater work in their life. So He may not raise you up in the way that you seek, but He will raise you up in the way that He knows best. And so we pray with faith. And notice the end of this verse. And if He has committed sins, He will be forgiven. Now, I want this to be clear because I don't want there to be any misunderstanding. Normally, I believe someone's sickness is not the result of sin in their life. 
So we don't say if someone's sick or someone's not healed, well, it must be because you're a sinner. But the Bible does make clear that sometimes your sickness can be behind, your sin can be behind your sickness. And really, there's a biblical foundation for that, but you can go to atheist doctors who can tell you pretty much the same thing. NPR even did, I heard in another sermon, I was listening to somebody did a study on this, and I won't bore you with all the details, but some of you know this. Guess what? If you have a lot of stress in your life, it affects you physically. If you live with a lot of anxiety in your life, and specifically one, one, one of these doctors did a study very connected to our text, James Pennebaker at the University of Texas, used blood tests and EEG measurements, whatever that means, to measure what physically happens to people who confess. He found out that whether secrets were confessed to another person out loud or were merely written down privately and shared later, there were tangible health benefits, both physical and mental. The research found it not only proved relationships in regards to depth and intimacy, but better sleep and an improved immune system. Non-Christian. Just telling us what the Bible already does. Right? That's what science does. It just shows us what the Bible's already taught us. But sometimes, for some reason, we don't want to listen to the Bible. Do you realize that? That... that that unconfessed sin, anxiety you've not given up, living for other people's approval, living for, for control, living for comfort, living to have power and to perform, this can affect your well-being. And it may very well be that as the pastors come to pray that, that you're like, we need to talk about this. Other times it's not the sin that leads to the sickness, but the sickness can reveal the sin. Before I endured this season of struggle and trial in my life, I didn't realize how much I did worship control. Sometimes a sickness will lay us low and reveal our hearts like never before. And what God is doing in this is He's not wanting to take something that's bad and make it worse. He wants to heal you. He wants to heal you holistically. And guess think, just think, all this comes just from confessing. I, need, I want you to come pray for me. So we, we find help by confessing the need to our elders, to our pastors, but also, and I think central to this text, to each other. Verse 16, therefore, you know, you know we've broken record. You hear there, see what, uh, there, if you see a therefore in the text, you ask, what's it there for, right? And the therefore is always pointing us, all right, here's what I'm trying to tell you, okay? So I've told you all this about praying. I've told you all this about getting your elders to come. Therefore... Here we go. Here's the main point. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. This isn't just confessing to your elders. This is confessing to one another. The culture of confession is the key to a community of healing. We see that a community of confession is the key to a community of where we find healing. Because you do not need to be confessing anything if you're not coming for change. Confession is not just a vent session. Confession is not just, I want everybody to see how complicated I am. So I'm not really interested in you helping me change. I kind of want to stump you. 
We've all been there. We've either been that person or we've heard that person. It's like no matter what you tell them, no matter what you bring up from God's Word, they're trying to cut you off at the pass. Oh, yeah, but what about this about me? Oh, yeah, but what about this about me? What about this about me? So I want, you to, I want us to have a culture of confession, but don't confess if you're not coming to be healed and to change. Jesus is not in the business of just having people try to one-up everybody. He wants people, though, who will come and be real and say, help me. I want to be healed. I'm lost. I'm confused. I don't know where to turn next. But if you'll show me from God's Word, I'm going to follow the Spirit. And when this happens, when people... This is what it's talking about, a righteous person. It's not talking about a perfect person. It's talking about people who are resting in Jesus and who are saying in a way, as we saw earlier in James, not double-minded, but like, Jesus, you alone are my hope. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you, and I'm desperately crying out and saying, you are my righteousness, you are my life, you are my only, only way. In our church, there should be unplanned prayer happening all the time. It's just a vision I get as I read this. As I see in our missional communities, we don't have to wait till missional community leader or whoever says, let's pray now. Now, we want to do that too. But we want to see people even during the meal, like, let's go outside and pray. Let's get in this corner and pray. Or let's just call time out for eating and let's pray. In our fight clubs where it's not, and I'll just confess in ours, I'm the one leading it. It's like, all right, guys, time's up. Let's just quickly pray. All right? James can tell you that's exactly what I do half the time. We see prayer is important because notice here, it's through the prayer, the prayer of those who are resting and seeking Jesus alone that powerful things happen. And Elijah here is our example. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. When we read in the Bible, we tend to want to make these biblical quote-unquote heroes into special cases. And so the Holy Spirit through James here just wants to say, I'm not going to allow you to do that. I'm not going to allow you to say, well, there were uh, these periods of miracles in the history of redemption. One at Moses, then at Elijah and Elisha, and then one in the time of Jesus. But sorry, you, not, you don't live in one of those periods. No, this just blows that out of the water. That way of reading the Bible. And it says, you're no different than Elijah. And guess what? Even more so, that person sitting next to you is no different than Elijah if they're filled with the Spirit of God. Now just imagine if we looked at ourselves like that and, like, and our fellow followers of Jesus like that. We would be wanting people to pray for us all the time, wouldn't we? If we really believe what we said, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us then prayer wouldn't be the last thing we go to. It'd be the first thing we go to. We wouldn't say, well, I don't want that person to pray for me because they're imperfect. No, we'd say, that person is resting in Jesus, is pursuing Jesus, has the Spirit of God. It's just like having Elijah pray for me. Because if you say, if Elijah showed up this morning from the dead and is saying, I'll pray for people, and we all of a sudden get a big long line filled up because we want Elijah to pray for us, then we have misunderstood who we are as the people of God. 
that your brothers and sisters in Christ possess the same nature, the same spirit, and serve the same healing, powerful God as Elijah. This is good news for us today. But it will not happen unless we have a culture where people will confess their need and pray for one another. You've got to admit you need help if you're going to get help. You've got to come out of the dark if you're going to receive the freedom of the light. My dad is a perfect example of the opposite of this. I'm not talking about his spiritual life, although it's probably connected. Uh, my dad, one time my mom was in the hospital, and even while my mom was in the hospital, he had been struggling with some health problems. But I guess what we call a typical man, he doesn't want to tell anybody until he's dead. And in this case, it was almost literal. And so he's trying to walk up the stairs in the hospital having these extreme chest pains, and he's not wanting to tell anybody about it because, you know, he's going to care for my mom or whatever, and he don't want to tell anybody. Well, he finally, a doctor, a nurse sees him stumbling around. It's like, hey, why don't you come in here and we look at you? And so they did these little tests, and, of course, all through doing the test, he's like, oh, I'm okay, I'm fine, I'm fine. And so even the tests are like, well, okay, we don't really see anything. If you're saying you're fine, you're fine. And so he drives home, and even on the way home, he's hurting so bad, he has to pull over on the side of the road and wait for a while to just gain his strength. You think he turns around and goes back to the hospital? Nope. <laughs> just drives to the house. And he's at home, and he's starting to hurt, and it's even got to the point where my dad, and I don't think I've ever heard this, is kind of uh, making some sounds that he's hurting. My mom's like, do you want me to call an ambulance? No, nah, it'll be okay. It'll pass. It'll pass. Well, it didn't pass. And finally, he agreed, after much struggle, to let her drive him to the hospital. When they get to the hospital, what do they say? You're having a heart attack. And so here I pull up to the hospital. I'll never forget it. And there I see them taking my dad and putting him on the Life Force helicopter to fly him to Chattanooga to try and save his life. All because why? He didn't want to be real about what was going on in his literal heart. <laughs> he didn't want to be a burden to anybody else. Because you know what? Everybody else has enough going on already and they have to worry about me. And guess what he didn't really want to do, which he had to do, was quit smoking. <laughs> we can be like that in our own ways. Some of you are like my dad. You're hurting but you're hiding. But there is no healing in hiding. Whatever God is going to call you to change, whatever idol, even in the process of confession, He is going to call you to address, He comes to heal you. One of, one of Jared's good friends, Brad Watson, has written this in a book. He says this, Confession is how we bring our true selves before God. In fact, Jesus was not too welcoming to the self-righteous and the hiding. Ironically, Christian communities have become hiding places for sinners who pretend they don't need Christ. But we cannot grow in our love for God until we confess the truth about our hearts. This is the beginning of transformation. A culture of confession is a culture 
that embraces reality, is a culture that, that reaches out for help, but it's also a culture that is a culture of rescue. And this is the last verses we're looking at this morning. It says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Guess what? There are some people who need to confess, but they don't want to confess. There are some people who get in a season in their life where they need to confess, whether it be a severe sickness or a a severe case of sin, and instead of drawing near to the people of God for help, they run from the people of God. Instead of coming clean before Jesus, they run from Jesus. And so what do we do in those situations? Jesus says, we go after them. We don't write them off, we run to them. This is exactly what Jesus did for us. None of us wanted Jesus. When Jesus came after people, what did they do to him? They killed him. We are called to follow Jesus on a mission of rescue, calling people to confess reality so that they can find healing in Christ. Don't think dramatic, though. Just think family. Okay? Some of us, I know this gets scary. But think your kid running out into the street, right? Here comes a car. Well, I really don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation with my child. Hello, would you rather them die? Think of your sister on meth. Well, meth, cheeseburgers, we both have our struggles. You know, maybe, you know, I don't want to seem judgmental. No, what do you do? You say, you're killing yourself. I love you. Don't write people off. We go for rescue. And when we bring them back, it's worth it, verse 20 says. We, 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 we bring a sinner back from wandering. We save their soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Save them from death. Now, in some cases, literally, we save people from hell because the Bible says that those who go out from us prove they never were really of us. So in some cases, we take these people the gospel for the first time. They really haven't understood it, and it's became evident now through this situation. In other cases, it may be just a sincere brother and sister is now on the verge, though, of wondering, of falling away and, and, uh, and proving to either not truly have been Christ's child or just to have a season of their life that is wasted. Wasted. It's like the old pastor Charles Spurgeon said about those who are true believers but fall into these seasons. He says they can't fall off the boat, but they can fall on the boat. Right? So they don't fall off the boat. They're on the boat, but they spend the whole boat ride in the infirmary not enjoying it. We don't want those who are lost to, to spend an eternity without the Father's love but we also don't want those who are believers to spend a season of their life not enjoying the fullness of life they are to have in Christ. Staying quiet can look like love, but it's deadly. Now, since I've been here, there's probably been no movie that we have milked out the illustrations more than this one. But here we go again. Rocky Four. All right? Think I have did it? I know I've heard Jared do it. Look, my... Might may have done it. All right. Apollo's going to fight Drago, right? And he's thinking he's going to kill him, right? We got James Brown in the background. We got dancers. It's, it's going to happen, right? But Apollo's 
he's in over his head, right? He gets in the ring and he is getting the snot beat out of him. And Rocky's like, I got to call the fight, you know. And Apollo's like, promise me. Promise me you will not throw in the towel. Whatever you do, Rocky, don't stop this fight. And so he goes out there, and he is literally getting killed. And Rocky's just standing there holding the towel. You know? Even though uh, Apollo's trainer is over here screaming, throw in the towel. Apollo's wife is screaming, throw in the towel. And Rocky's standing there holding it. And you know what happens? Apollo dies. Rocky respected Apollo's wishes, and he died. Would you rather have your friend, your brother or sister in Christ, mad at you for a season, but dead forever? Maybe it's because we do not see this like the Spirit is saying we need to see this in James. This is a matter of life and death. This is not a matter of managing our relationships so that we can have more comfortable conversations when we see other people at Walmart. We go to people in love. You need to know this. If you're a part of this church, we are each other's business. That's what it means to be a part of Fellowship Paragold. We're going to live like family. We're going to love each other. We're not going to write you off. We're going to go rescue you. Not like cops trying to force a confession, but like a doctor going to a third world country who they don't even realize there's a cure, but we're bringing them the gospel. And in a church like ours, we really need this. We've been blessed to see so many people reach from an unchurched or de-churched background. And so we're all trying to figure out, what does it mean to look like to live faithful to Jesus? And so we, above all, are going to need a culture of confession and a culture of correction that is rooted in the gospel. And this is exactly what this is rooted in. As we show one another and we show our community that we don't just write people off, but we want them back. As we show people that we don't just forget people, but we've got their backs. It gives us an opportunity to tell this story of the gospel. The gospel of a God who created us to live fully and openly with no shame before Him. Right? Garden of Eden. No shame. We're real before God. We're real before each other. But as we chose to quit trusting God and to do our own thing, sin came into the world. And on the back of sin came this culture of hiding of Adam and Eve with their fig leaves. Adam and Eve distant from God now trying to hide. Adam and Eve turned against one another trying to hide and ashamed before one another. And yet God from the beginning draws near and He clothes them with something greater than fig leaves. He clothes them with the covering of sacrifice so that they could come near in honesty and truth before Him. Of a God who says from the very beginning, guess what? I know you fully and I love you fully. And God shows this love most clearly as Jesus enters into the shadows of the hiding. This is what Christmas is all about. He says, they're not going to be real, so I'll go be real. I'll live the life they couldn't live. I'll die the death they deserve to die. And I'll rise so that they can live in the freedom of the truth. The cross frees us to confess with the hope of healing. The resurrection frees us to confess with the hope of change. Do you see Jesus hanging there naked and condemned, yet full of grace and truth? 
so that you can come out of the shadows and say, I was abused in this horrible way. I need somebody to help me think about this in light of the gospel. I'm addicted to this drug or to pornography or to spending. I hate my spouse and my kids. I don't know how I could ever forgive my father. Or I don't even know if I believe anything anymore. God is not afraid of the reality about us. It is only through our agreement about that reality and owning it that He will be able to heal us. We cannot say that God owns us if we have not yet owned up to who we are before Him. And we're called now to be His agents of healing and transformation. But it will only happen if we commit to this culture of confession that leads us to Christ. Just imagine that. Imagine if this became an ever-increasing reality in our homes, in our marriages, with our children, with our fight clubs, with our missional communities, with our church as a whole. Imagine that in our city. Imagine people saying, man, it would be awesome to be a part of something like that. You mean I can actually be real and God knows all that and He not only knows it, but He and not only accepts me, but He actually covers me? Some of the hardest things for us is when our kids don't tell us what they've done wrong. And you know why they do this? It's probably our bad parenting. But we didn't want to tell you because we knew we'd get in trouble. We didn't want to tell you because we're afraid you're going to yell at us. We didn't want to tell you because we're afraid. God wants you to hear right now, I love you. Whatever change I call you to, whatever difficulty or discomfort you might have to endure as you step into the light, you can count on one thing. I will never leave you or forsake you. He's calling us to be that message to one another. To realize confession, not hiding, is the path to healing. Because it's the only, real, only the real us who can meet and be changed by the real Jesus. Father, thank you for this good news today. Thank you that we don't have to hide. Thank you that we don't have to be slaves to fear. Thank you that we are not slaves to fear because we are children of God. And I pray that you would take this truth today and give us the wisdom to work this out in ways that are helpful, in ways that are, that are not self-focused, but in ways that want to lead us to be that community who is a community of healing. God, may that spread from within this service this morning to the corners and cracks of this city. In Jesus' name, amen.